Welcome. Uh, I hope you're having a good, a good weekend so far. You know, one thing that I love about being a pastor is I have a chance to come to uh, not just the church services, but to different gatherings and meet lots of people. And, uh, you know, for example, yesterday we had our primetime gathering. We, we had a, an apple roast out back here around the fire. It was about, about 30 people or so there. That was a great time to, to fellowship and to meet some, some uh, people I had, hadn't talked to for a little bit just to catch up. Hopefully some new connections were made there. Uh, sometimes it happens in the foyer, happens in coffee shops. People call me and say, hey, I'm new to the church. Can I come by and meet, meet you? And I love having those sorts of meetings in, in part because I just like meeting a diversity of people and hearing their stories about how they kind of came from point A to whatever point I'm intersecting with them. And especially when they come from other countries, because about 15 years ago, just shy of 15 years ago, Nadine and I moved from Prince George to Edmonton, and that was, that was a challenge. That was a journey in itself. And I can't even fathom what gets involved moving from one country to another country. So I love hearing those stories about why they do that and, and the journey they're on and, and what has brought them to this place. But, you know, regardless of where I meet people or who I meet or where they're from, there is one thing that I have found is common amongst everybody. It's sort of this universal need that each person has. And it's a need to be known and to know others. Another way of phrasing that is, is there's this universal need for friendship amongst people. Now, for some people, that gets defined where they need to have, like, just a multitude of friends really broadly. You know, if you, you, know you find these people if they got, like, five, 600 friends on Facebook. And so they have a lot of people that they're familiar with. But sometimes those relationships are, are a little limited in depth and a little limited in, in how well they know each other. But they have a ton of them. And that sort of fits the way that God made them and their need for friendship. Then there's other people who are perhaps a little more like me, where you know a lot of people, but you really only need to be known by a few people, but those are very deep relationships, very, very deep connections that you'll make. Now, regardless of what your natural style is, have you ever had one particular friend where you were such good friends that when people thought of you, they thought of the other person? When people saw you together, they just knew you were inseparable. You ever had a friend like that? Maybe you go back to when you were in school, in elementary school, or high school, or in college, or maybe you look at your spouse today, and you go, no, that person is, is, is my spouse, my partner. You know, if you ever had a friend like that, I hope you have, because they're very special relationships that we have. And if you had a friend like that from a previous time in life, and you hadn't seen them for maybe 10 years, that's the type of person where if you just saw them walking down the street downtown and hadn't talked to them for 10 years, you would just immediately feel like, I know that person. I recognize that person. But not just, I don't just mean recognizes and I know their face and I know their height and I know their mannerisms, but, but you see them and you know them at a deeper sense where if you were to go sit and have coffee with them, the minute they start talking, it's just familiar. That those feelings of familiarity come back because it's like, I know this person's character. I know what they like and what they don't like. I know this person's values. I, I know their beliefs. I recognize this person in a deep way. Have you ever had a friend like that? A relationship like that? Well, last week I introduced you to the Apostle Philip. If you were here last week, remember we talked about Philip last week. But there's one thing I didn't share with you about Philip. The one thing I didn't share with you about Philip is that he had kind of a Burton or anything going on, a really inseparable friend, kind of a Burton or anything going on with a guy named Nathaniel. And Nathaniel was a very close friend. And the way that we find Philip and Nathaniel's names in Scripture, it seems like these guys were inseparable, like they were really good friends. But Nathaniel is a bit of a controversial guy because we're not actually sure if that was his name. 
You see, if you look at the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they refer to this guy named Bartholomew. But then you get to John, and there's no mention of Bartholomew, but instead there's this guy named Nathaniel that comes up. And so it's led scholars to the question, are these two different people? Or is it one guy that for some reason they're just referring to by two different names? Now, I'll save you the research, and if you take my word for it, most scholars agree that this is the same person referred to in two different ways because it's referring to this guy by two different designations. What I mean by that is the word Bartholomew, the name Bartholomew, is sort of a family designation, meaning, literally meaning Bartholomew means son of Tolmai, where Nathaniel is a designation of a guy's name, and the literal definition of that is gift of God. So today we're going to refer to this guy as Nathaniel because the passage we're looking at is in the Gospel of John, and John refers to him as Nathaniel. So we'll stay with that. Now, really, very little is actually known about Nathaniel. He's really not mentioned that often in the Gospels, aside from being listed as one of the names in the 12 chosen by Jesus. So we don't know too much about him, aside from that, and the fact that he was, excuse me, very good friends with Philip. He was kind of the Ernie to Philip's Bert, if you will. Now, so much so that near the end of Philip's life, remember last week we talked about how Philip was teaching and preaching in Turkey, and that's where his life ended? Well, it's believed that Nathaniel was there with him, was, was preaching and teaching with him in Turkey as well, so, to the point where when Philip was arrested and tortured and about to be killed in Turkey, he actually pleaded for Nathaniel's life, and it's believed that he was able to secure Nathaniel's release so that Nathaniel could carry on preaching throughout different areas which is exactly what he did, because he not only ministered in Turkey, but then he went on to also preach and minister in India, in Ethiopia, in southern Arabia, and then into Armenia, where he spent a lot of time. And Armenia is where he lost his life. He had a very successful ministry there, to the point where he actually was able to convert the king of Armenia. He made his way to, to the king's courts and was able to, to have the king accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. But the king's brother was not so fond of this. And so the king's brother had Nathaniel arrested, tortured, and killed. Now, out of all the different ways that the apostles died, I, I think Nathaniel kind of takes the cake on, on being one of the most kind of horrific ways of dying. And so what happened to him, very briefly, is he was arrested, he was tortured, and then they skinned him alive. Yeah, kind of nasty, Right? And so they skinned him alive, but then before he died, they cut his head off. So that was sort of the persecution and the final moments of Nathaniel's life. Now, you may be familiar with the Catholic Church. They have these things called patron saints, where they take a person from, from antiquity and they elevate them to somebody that, that in the Catholic belief you can affirm, kind of pray to and, and talk to and can intercede for you. So it's one of those Catholic beliefs. And they have uh, made... Nathaniel, a patron saint, but it's kind of a, I think that's kind of a adding insult to injury type of thing, because they made Nathaniel the patron saint of tanners. Uh, like, you know, tanners, guys who work with skin to turn into leather. Yeah, I'm not sure where the decision on that came from. But that's also why if you go to Rome and see some of these great cathedrals that are, that are painted, Michelangelo actually painted one great cathedral with a, with a, um, a, a picture referred to as the Last Judgment, where all of the apostles and their deaths are, are painted. And so if you find that, you'll see that this is what he painted for Nathaniel, where in his right hand he has a knife, in his left hand he's got a skin suit. So to <laughs> reflect upon how he moved on. 
So anyways, we'll move on from that today. That's Nathaniel. We don't know much else about the guy. And so we got to learn about his life and how he died, which is what he's most infamous for. But aside from being listed four times as one of the apostles, the only other time that Nathaniel's name comes up actually is in John chapter 1, where he has his first encounter with Jesus Christ. And so we have the opportunity today as we walk through that. John chapter 1, we'll start in verse 43, where we witness Nathaniel's journey from knowing about God to recognizing Jesus as God in flesh. And so as we walk through this passage today, not only will we see his journey from knowing about God to recognizing Jesus as God, but we also have the opportunity for us to examine our own personal experiences with Jesus and to consider how well do we know him and do we recognize him as Lord and Savior of our lives. So as we learned last week, Philip was called by Jesus. Jesus said to Philip, follow me. And all we're really told is Philip said yes and began following Jesus. But we also know that this was an extremely meaningful and moving experience in Philip's life. Because after he accepted the call, he urgently rushes out because he's got to go find his best friend, Nathaniel. Because he's got to share the news with Nathaniel. And so in an excited manner, he rushes out, he finds him, and he proclaims to Nathaniel, we have found him. We have found the one that Moses talked about. We found the one that the prophets wrote about. We have found the Messiah, Nathaniel, and you'll never guess who he is. It's Jesus of Nazareth. It's, it's Jesus. You know Joseph's son, Jesus? Now, Nathaniel didn't personally know Jesus, but he certainly knew about the guy because Jesus was infamous by this point, even early on in his ministry. You know, as Jesus' New, the news of Jesus' teachings and as his miracles had spread throughout the land, people started asking questions. They're asking questions like, well, who is he? And what town is he from? And what family does he come from? And finding that, that this potential Messiah was Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph, was really challenging for Nathaniel because Nathaniel was from the town of Cana, which is just north of Nazareth. And there seems to have been kind of a regional rivalry going on between Nazareth and Cana. It'd be sort of like somebody saying that the flames are better than the oilers. Like, it's ridiculous, right? Or it'd be like somebody who lives in Dog River. Remember the show Corner Gas? You live in Dog River, then you find out your favorite mayoral candidate is from Woolerton, right? Woolerton, huh. But Nathaniel, highly skeptical of what he's hearing from Philip, has this to respond. He simply says, Nazareth? Nazareth? Can anything good come out of that backwater town? Now, Philip knows that he's not going to be able to convince Nathaniel that this is the truth and this is a fact on his own. So he simply replies, well, just, just come and see for yourself. Just come and see. And so Nathaniel and Philip, who are walking along the road. Now, Nathaniel is known as a guy who, who knows a lot about God. He, it's understood that he is one who is believed to have been very studious. And he had a lot of knowledge about God and the coming Messiah. But when he's presented with the possibility of Jesus being the one, well, Nathaniel doesn't recognize him as that. It doesn't line up for him. But all that was about to change. Because you see, as Nathaniel and Philip are walking along the road to go and find Jesus, as, as Philip had suggested, they come to a point where Jesus was, was around, and, and he sees them first. And so Jesus cries out to Nathaniel, and he says, Nathaniel, behold, here is an Israelite indeed. Here is a true Israelite and whom there is no deceit. Now, Nathaniel's kind of startled and shocked by this. And, and he, he looks at Jesus and he goes, have we met before? Like, like, how do you know me? 
what else would you say if some stranger just walked up to you on the street and, and suddenly startled you and said, there she is, a true Canadian, not an unsorry bone in her body, right? <laughs> like, like, how else would you respond? So, so Jesus' response back to Nathaniel's inquiry about how do you know me is, is quite curious in itself as well for us as readers because Jesus' response simply is, well, I saw you one day, Philip. I saw you one day before, I saw you one day, Nathaniel, before Philip called you here while you were sitting under a fig tree. Now, that doesn't make sense in our context a lot, but here's, here's what's happening there. You see, the fig tree was a place of ample shade in the hot, hot sun of this region. And so people would often go sit under fig trees, which, which would, would blur your vision from a little bit, but it was a place to sit in the cool of the shade and get a break from the sun. And because of that, it was also a very popular place for devout Israelites to go and sit and to, re, to study, to pray, and to meditate upon God in the Scriptures. Now, we don't know a lot of detail, but it's firmly believed that what Jesus is calling out here is that he knows Nathaniel as one who knows a lot about God, but doesn't recognize Jesus from all of his studying that he's been doing. Now, it might seem odd to us, this comment of Jesus, but Nathaniel knows exactly what he's talking about. And Nathaniel, when he hears Jesus say, I saw you under a fig tree, what he hears Jesus saying is, you have been studying. You have been praying about me, yet you do not recognize me. However, Nathaniel, I recognize you. I know you, and I know you so well that I'm calling you to me. See, Jesus not only recognized his name, he didn't just recognize his face and his stature. Jesus recognized Nathaniel to the depth of his being. And in that moment, Nathaniel's eyes are opened. And his entire perspective changes to the point where he thinks, well, even if this guy is from Nazareth, I recognize him now as the Messiah. And Nathaniel's only response that he can possibly make from this point is, Rabbi, teacher, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel professing the belief that Jesus was that long-awaited Messiah that he'd been reading and searching for his whole life. Now, when someone asks you that question, do you know so-and-so? What do you think they mean by that? What do you think they're referring to when somebody asks you, do you know somebody? Are they referring to a name? You know, when I first moved here, people would come up to me on a very regular basis and go, do you know Herb Dixon? Do you, do you know Kent Dixon? No, I don't. I, I hear they're wonderful people. <laughs> I actually do. Um, I've heard so many stories about these guys, but I, I don't know them. But what do people mean by that? Do they mean maybe physical features where if you saw the person, you would recognize them on the street? Um, is that what people mean? You know, perhaps like a celebrity. There, there, are some, there are some movie stars or stars of music that I'm a big fan of, but man, if I walk by them on the street, I'd have no clue. I'm just terrible at recognizing people as I walk by them on the street. I have no idea how these paparazzis and TMZ can do it. I, I can't recognize people. Or are they referring to your accomplishments? Do you know so-and-so? You know, based upon their accomplishments. Do you, you know, do you know Connor McDavid? Not personally. I know he needs to start scoring again, but I don't know him personally. You know, in each of these examples, perhaps a more accurate question would be, do you know about? Do you know about so-and-so as opposed to do you know? Because really, the truth is, outside of our immediate family and, and maybe some very close friends, there's very, very few people that we could honestly say we truly know beyond a surface level. And so it kind of begs the question, what does it mean to know somebody? 
And what does it take to truly get to know somebody? Well, the simplest answer, the simplest answer would be it requires an ongoing personal experience with that person. Kind of like Nathaniel had with Jesus. There's the initial, initial experience that we re- read about today in John chapter 1, and that was very profound and important, but then it continued on through a discipling period of time as they truly got to know Jesus and allowed Nathaniel to move from knowing about Jesus of Nazareth, son of Joseph, to recognizing him as rabbi, teacher, son of God, king of Israel, from knowing about God to recognizing Jesus as God is the progress that Nathan works his way through here. Now, it begs the question, in today's world, how can we have a personal experience with God? How can we have an experience like that with God in the world that we live in today? How can we come to recognize him in our own lives and truly get to know God? You know, in Nathaniel's situation, he could literally just walk down the street and bump into Jesus. That was a unique situation that existed in that time only. So how can we seek out God and how can we bump into Jesus in our world here today? Well, I will tell you that to start off with, God is not hiding from you. He is not hiding. He is not trying to make it difficult for you to see him. In fact, God has been revealing himself to humanity from the very beginning of time. And he's done so through two primary ways, through two primary means. The first one is referred to as general revelation. This general revelation, which is recognizing general truths about God through the world around us. You, like pretty much everybody else who has ever lived, at some point has probably stared up at the night sky. You've perhaps have walked this fall through a forest and seen the change of seasons and the beauty of the color of the leaves. Perhaps you've had that opportunity to experience the miracle of seeing a baby, one of your children, born. All of these events have happened throughout time and has led every person through one way or another to wonder and to ponder and has led them to seek out something greater than what is within themselves. And Paul writes about this in Romans chapter 1, verse 20, when he says, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his, his eternal power, his divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. The observable world around us reveals and proclaims the glory of God. The world all around us. But not only that, not only in the observable world, but if you take the time and the effort to research and to look even deeper and further into it, you'll come to find there's this incredible, perfect balance that exists within it as well. And it reveals even more about who God is. For example, did you know that if the earth's crust was 0.0006% thicker, it would have such an effect upon our atmosphere that there would not be enough oxygen for life. Did you know that if the earth was off its axis even a fraction of a degree, that there would not be enough time, there would not be enough seasons to provide a food supply for us? Did you know that if the rotation of the earth was off by one-tenth of a percent, that vegetation would either burn up or it would be too cold for it to even grow? And did you know that last month, all of us had an opportunity to experience a unique phenomenon when we had a total eclipse? Did you know that Earth is the only planet in the known universe where a total eclipse is possible? Did you know that? And we just happen to be on that planet. 
You see, here's how that works. You see, the total eclipse only happens here. Other, other planets have eclipses as, as moons pass in front of the sun and kind of block out a little bit, but only Earth has a total eclipse because Earth, Earth's distance from the sun is 400 times greater than Earth's distance to the moon. Guess how much bigger the sun is than the moon? 400 times. And so the simple calculation, the simple design of the distance, the size of the earth and the sun, the orientation of it, allows us to be the only people who can experience a total eclipse. Fingerprint of God or coincidence? See, that's the question we're faced with in all of these things. Fingerprint of God or coincidence? And how we answer that question in part determines our worldview. You see, if we fall to the side of coincidence where it's just a random occurrence that led to this world as we know it, then basically what we're saying is it's a result of chance. It's like rolling the dice. It's like pulling the lever on a slot machine once and hitting the jackpot and then multiplying that by 10,000 times without missing one time. You see, the odds of this happening by chance are unfathomable. And in my humble opinion, I think it actually takes more faith to believe in chance than it does to believe in a designer. Because that's the other option we have, is that in creation, it is a revelation of God, of God revealing himself to us, as Paul wrote about in Romans chapter 1. And it points humanity to something more powerful and more divine than ourselves. So if we walk around in this world, and we can observe and we can see the attributes of God in everything that we encounter. We can see him on the ground we walk on. We can see him in the trees. We can see him in the sky, in the mountains, in the bodies of water we go by. We can see him in the cry of a newborn baby. From the smallest atom to the largest galaxy, God has revealed himself to us in creation. Do you recognize God in creation? Do you recognize him in creation, the world around you? Because the world in which we live is a revelation of God to all people at all times and at all places. And it shows us and it proves that God exists and that he is intelligent, that he is powerful, and he is transcendent. God has revealed himself to us in the world around us through this general revelation. And as incredible as all of that is, there's a limitation to it, though. There's a limitation to what general revelation can do. Because it only gives us a partial perspective of God. And it can actually lead to any number of theistic beliefs, and it can lead to even things like animism. So more is required, because nobody ever walked through the forest, saw a tree, and thought, oh my gosh, I bet you somebody cut two of those down and put them into a cross, and God put a sun on it. So you can't get that just from staring at a tree. That's the role of special revelation. And that's the second way that God reveals himself, is through special revelation which is recognizing specific truths about God through the miraculous events in the world around us. Now, one way that this has happened, and it's recorded in Scripture repeatedly, is that God reveals himself through things such as as miracles and dreams and physical manifestations. We see this in Scripture when we read about God walking with Adam and Eve in the garden, God in the burning bush with Moses, Jacob's ladder, Joseph's dreams, Jesus' healings, the apostles' healings, Paul's visions, John's vision and revelation. You see, throughout Scripture, we see God revealing himself through these special miraculous ways. But I also believe it takes place today. I believe that this still happens in today's world and can be seen in contemporary stories as well. 
I'm sure that if you were to take the time to sit in someone's living room or to sit with them around a table at a potluck or, or even in the foyer following the service and ask them the question, you would find that they have examples of God's miraculous revealing of himself to them in their lives and to the lives of their family. For example, if you were to come ask me about that, I could tell you stories about people who I've walked with who had cancer one day and not the next. People who had physical healings where they were booked for surgery one day and they go in for the surgery and the doctor has no idea why he's canceling the surgery, but there's nothing to operate on anymore. People who, who have had these amazing stories of unexplained ch- changes in their lives and their families. People who have been instantaneously freed from addictions. Even in our own lives, our own son Samuel, who had received a miracle in his life that saved his life before he was even born. You see, these are not daily occurrences for us, but they still happen in today's world. God still moves and reveals himself in this fashion in today's world too, if we will choose to have eyes to see it. But there's another way he does it as well. Another form of special revelation, and probably one of the more primary ways that we find that we can know and recognize God is through the word of God, through scripture itself. You see, scripture is a form of special revelation. It's a form of special revelation where God miraculously guided the authors in their writings, preserved the messages, and while still allowing them to use their own styles and personalities, preserved and had a consistent message over a period of 1,600 years as Scripture was compiled. We're told that the Word of God is alive and active, that the Word of God is inspired and profitable and sufficient for us, And we're told in in Paul's writing in 2 Timothy 3 that all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, and for training in all righteousness. You see, God determined to have the truth about him written down and recorded so that it would be preserved for accuracy and be available to us. Here we are thousands of years later. And this is one of the roles of general general revelation is this idea that God is transcendent God is beyond, that God is unattainable and distant, but specific revelation or special revelation of Scripture allows God to become imminent, allows him to become knowable. It brings God near us so that we may know him in a more personal way and then be able to have a relationship with him. But this is not unique to just our relationship with God. This is really how relationships work, even with people here in this room or in your own family or people that you are friends with. It's similar to any meaningful relationship that we have whether that be a good friend or a relative or a spouse. It requires access to being able to know somebody and then an ongoing personal encounter with that person as we grow over time to know them, be known by them, and grow in our understanding, appreciation, and incorporation of them into our lives. From the time that we meet somebody to the point we really know them requires that ongoing personal interaction. And the Bible allows us to have that interaction. And you'll learn things like this when you, when you meet somebody, if you think about it, uh, think of a friend perhaps that you met back a long time ago, your spouse, what did that journey look like? Well, as you met them and you started talking to them, you probably learned things about their history, where they came from, where they were born, where they grew up, trips they've been on, adventures they've had, hardships they've had to endure. As you continue to talk and have those encounters, you come to learn about their likes and their dislikes related to things such as maybe activities, maybe foods, different conducts that they find offensive, different habits that they're wrestling with. And when I first started dating Nadine, I learned that she was born in Calgary, she grew up in Regina, and she moved to Prince George to go to school and be with an aunt for a while, which is where I met her. As we continue to 
grow in our relationship, we found out that both of us like to go get Big Bacon Classics from Wendy's at 3 in the morning. We like doing that. We also learned we like to go to the keg and sit in the lounge and have happies. I learned very quickly she didn't like my car stereo. She didn't like the volume or the style or taste of my music. I learned she doesn't like it if I wear sweatpants in public. Right? So I learned that when she's pregnant that she likes to scoop peanut butter parfaits with barbecue corn chips. So I didn't share in that with her. I also learned that she likes it when I rub her head when she's trying to go to sleep. And she learned that I fall asleep way faster than she does. So, so it doesn't always work out that great. But the same thing applies to our relationship with God. As we get to know him personally, we need to have this ongoing personal experience with him. And the Bible makes that a reality. The Bible makes that a possibility. It's through that that we realize that he knows everything about you. And we know that he loves you. And that he wants to be in a relationship with you. It's through that we recognize where he fits and what his will is for our own lives. As we learn about his history and, and likes and dislikes and rules that govern our relationship with him. And it's where we can come to recognize him as Lord in all areas of our lives and the difference that that can make. And all of this has been made possible through the ultimate way that God has revealed himself. And that being in the person of Jesus Christ. Who the Bible tells us that God became man and dwelt among us. And his name was Jesus the Christ. Probably the most powerful and best way this is explained in scripture as a revelation is found in Hebrews chapter 1 where it says in Hebrews chapter 1 in the past God spoke to our ancestors through prophets and at many times and in various ways but in these days he has spoken to us through his son and the son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being you see the message revealed in Jesus Christ comes through in the form of his teachings about God it comes through in, in his conduct. It comes through in the life he lived as an example for us to follow. And it's a message of truth, of grace, and of love that can be experienced in him alone in those manners. It's a gift of truth. It's a message of truth. Because there's something that all of us share in common, but often we don't like to admit. And it's the fact that all of us are sinners. Whether you've acknowledged God or not, it is a fact that all of us have that same starting point. For all of us have sinned and all of us have fallen short of God's glory. And unfortunately, because of that, there is this, there's a, a penalty. There, there's, a, there's a price to be paid for our sin. And the wages of sin, it says in the Bible, is death. And not, not physical death where God's going to smite you with lightning bolts from heaven type of thing. But, but a, a, a death of relationship where, where our sinful state cannot associate with a holy God. That's the truth. All of us share in that. But it's not just a message of truth. It's also a message of grace. Because God made the first move. God made the first move by sending his son Jesus Christ to live a sinless life and to die in our place and to pay that price for us. And we're told that this is the gift of God, that Jesus is God's gift to us to pay that price for us and it leads not to death but to eternal life because it's a gift of message of grace as well but it's also a message of love because God loves you. God is not against you. God is not ready to smite you. God loved you enough to do all that, to send his one and only son to pay the price upon the cross so that he could have relationship with you. He sent his son Jesus who paved the path that we could have that personal relationship with God that allows him to be part of our lives, for us to be 
to include him in our lives and that we can allow that to change us to the point where we are never the same again so that we can move from just knowing about God in our heads to the point where we recognize him and love him in our hearts and allow him to become Lord and Savior of every aspect of our lives. That is the message that is found in the revelation of Jesus Christ. That is for all people. Do you know him? If so, how well do you know him? Like if you practically step back and examine the past few weeks of your life, practically speaking, how have you recognized him as Lord and Savior of your life? I don't want to assume that we haven't, but I want to ask the question. How have we practically recognized him as Lord and Savior of our lives? You know, there will be some people here who know all about God. People who know about God, but when they look at the role he has or doesn't have in their lives, they, they have to wrestle with that question. What is my personal relationship like? Maybe you've been around church your whole life. Maybe you've heard thousands of sermons. Maybe you've had so many songs and, and, and Christian people around you your whole life, but as you step back and look at your experience, the truth about God has just never gone from your head to your heart. There are people in every church that wrestle with that. And I want to encourage you to recognize him as Savior. There are perhaps people who are this whole church thing is new to you. This whole, this whole idea of, of church and salvation and sin and redemption is just a foreign concept. Or maybe you know a bit about it, but you're kind of like Nathaniel, where you know a lot about God. You've heard of Jesus, but not enough to the point where you're ready to recognize him and to take that step of faith and to place your belief and your trust in him. Well, I have good news for you. The good news is that Jesus knows you and that Jesus loves you and that Jesus died for you. And he earnestly wants to reveal himself to you through Jesus Christ, the sinless son of God who became sin upon the cross for us, the lamb of God who died in our place and of whom it's spoken, spoken in Romans chapter 10 where it says, anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. If you don't know him, you can. If you used to be close to him, you can be again. If we will call upon the name of the Lord. Because he says over and over again, if you seek him, you will find him. And you can find him. You can find him through reading in the scriptures about him. You can find him in the world around you. You can find him in the person of Jesus Christ. And when you find him, you will find that he has been running to you. Because he made the first move. Just as in his conversation with Nathaniel, Jesus spoke first and made the first move and revealed to Nathaniel, I know you, I called you, I love you. And as you get to know him better, you will change. You will have a more vibrant, more, more intimate relationship with God. And this will empower you in all areas of your life where you will find healing for hurts that have never been healed. You will find the ability to forgive things that have been unforgivable. You will find that there are things that break your heart that break the heart of God as you share in those things with him. And as you get to know him, one other thing happens, all of a sudden you start to get this ache for other people to know him as well, that they too may be able to experience and then live their lives boldly for him as well. So get to know God. Recognize him in Jesus Christ. Make him the Lord and Savior of your life. And when you do, you'll never be the same. Would you pray with me?
Heavenly Father, we thank you that you love us, that you desire us, and that you have made a way that we can be in relationship with you. God, each of us here has a journey and a story that is unique. Each of us can point to a moment where you have revealed yourself to us and we've faced that moment of choice to either accept it as coincidence or as your revelation. God, for those who have already taken that step and accepted it as your revelation, I pray, God, that, that from what we learned today, it would, it would be an opportunity to, to renew, to, to deepen, to possibly even restore the significance of that relationship in all areas of our lives. God, I, I know that there are people here who are going to have an area of their life where there's a stronghold, where they have allowed you into a lot, but they have not allowed you into that one area. And I pray right now in these moments, Lord Jesus, that people would be able to name that area and be able to open the door to it that your light may come into the darkness and may start to transform and that you could be the Lord of their life in that area as well. God, for those who may be here who do not yet know you or know about you but do not personally recognize you in their lives, I pray, Lord, that they would be struck by the power of your spirit that would just have this nagging sense in their mind that this is what they've been looking for and searching for and needing, that that void can be filled and it can be filled with the love, the grace, and the truth of Jesus Christ. Help me, Lord, as a pastor and help us as a church to be people that you can use to lead people to further commitment and to new commitment to the relationship with you that we all together would recognize you as Lord and Savior. Amen.